Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. It's one of the most iconic sports in the Paralympics. Great Britain has competed in the men's event every year since the first tournament in 1960. But a gold medal has been elusive. Could a short trip across the channel to Paris change all that next year? I'm John. And I'm Michael. And as well as being a Paralympic sport, wheelchair basketball is also very inclusive because it allows everyone to compete together. But what does the future have in store? Let's find out. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy, the behind-the-scenes conversation of British sport with the men and the women who run it. Hi, I'm Justine Baines. I'm the CEO of British Wheelchair Basketball. Justine, congratulations. A year ago, you took the job. How's it going? I'd probably describe it as the most bonkers year of my life. Um, I haven't really paused for breath. I think from the minute I joined to coming up to an anniversary of a year, it's just been a whirlwind, but in the best possible way. It's it's a brilliant sport. It's run by some fantastic people. The people that play it are awesome. And I never thought I could get this excited about a sport that I, I'm spectacularly awful about that as well. Uh, we mentioned the sport. It's so historical within the Paralympics. It's probably one of those sports that you go, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is uh, to, to anyone in the world. Well, I don't know. I didn't really know anything about it. Um, and one of one of my kind of personal reasons for taking the job was that um, one of my daughters had a, an illness called complex regional pain syndrome, CRPS, and was a wheelchair user for the best part of a year didn't know this sport existed. And if I'd known that we could go as a family and all have played it together, that might have been something that we would have changed what, how we felt at the time. Because when you suddenly go from not being a wheelchair user to being a wheelchair user or having someone in your family that does, the world is shut off to you. It literally changes. You can't get up curbs. You can't get into places that you're used to going into. So to have that environment where you can go as a family and all play together, all do something active and, you know, be in a community of people that get it, that would have been amazing. So one of my reasons for being here is to make more people know about it. 
So is that the challenge for you? The first yeah. challenge, if you like, in the job is to raise awareness to get more participation? Yeah, definitely. Somebody asked me not long ago, do I think that performance, so the, the Paralympic side of the sport and the grassroots side should be in the same governing body or should they be split up? I don't think you can split them. I think you need the you need the elite level so people can see what's going on. You can reach bigger audiences. You can use that platform to get more people playing the sport, but you need more people playing the sport so that you get a bigger pipeline of players, coaches, officials, people that want to run the clubs coming through the sport so that you've got a better pool of players. Ultimately, you can win more world medals if you've got a better pool of players to pick from. And do you see an upturn in inquiries, if you like, after success yeah. at elite level? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, I wasn't here for Tokyo, but this, I, I think every sport does. There's a massive uplift in just people being aware of your sport after major games. And the thing is with Paralympic sport, certainly in our sport, there's not that many opportunities to do that. We don't have the the reach of you know rugby for a world cup or football for a world cup we don't we don't have that so the paralympics is our massive pinnacle for for getting in front of people and as you say it's a paralympic sport but as you also say you can play together so it's it's an incredibly inclusive sport for non-disabled and disabled yeah and that's i think that's what makes us makes us special because you can play in our leagues as an able-bodied person and be worse than somebody that's got a disability. And that's what I see at school level, at that introductory level. Like I watch kids playing that aren't necessarily good at sport, but you put them in a chair. So they're not good at the rugby, the hockey, the netball and all the football and all that kind of thing. But you put them in a chair and they're brilliant. And so it gives opportunity for particularly young people, kids and young people to do something that their peers can't do so from an able body perspective it can actually give opportunities to kids that might otherwise struggle um that doesn't mean that we should make it a sport that own you know is taken over by able-bodied people and that's something i get challenged on a lot it's it's you can't play in the paralympics as an able-bodied person full stop so it's always going to be a sport that is that is predominantly played by people with some sort of impairment but I think it just enables at grassroots level people to understand more and people to get more involved. Quite a few players play with their families. One of our board members has got two sons who both played in our national leagues. Um, one of his sons had a disability, the other didn't, but it's something they could do together. And I hear that a lot. And as you said, you're in charge from the grassroots and there's a, a huge domestic league as part of that, all the way up to elite level and competing at the Paralympics. Yeah, and um, one of my ambitions is that we can have a, we don't have to have our male players going abroad to play. So most of our GB men play in Europe, mainly Spain, Italy, Germany, because they can get paid to do that. We don't pay our professional play, our, our top league players, our Premier League players, and that's a real shame. And part of that is because we don't have the platform through which to do that. So I'd love it if we could have fully professional leagues in this country where our men and women get to play. We do have a women's Premier League, which was launched um, just about to start the third season. That's the and that was launching in the pandemic because the, my predecessor recognised that it's a mixed game domestically. So men and women play on the same court, and you get an extra point if you field a woman. But the role of the female players on court tend to be 
not they tend to not be shooting and not majorly defensive because of their size and strength. So the role they play in a mixed team is very different to how they need to play in that Paralympic team, which is all women. So we've done a lot of work over the last couple of years to give women the chance to play at that higher level. And it, you know, it showed with the silver medal of our Europeans um, earlier this year. So what is the pyramid for your sport? Someone listening to this who maybe wants to go and try it, where in football you go and play Sunday morning football, there's a, an obvious pyramid there to the Premier League, for example. What, what is it in your sport? We've got um, clubs playing a league, if you want to play in a league, and if you want to play through a club, there's a league there, so it goes from Premier League downwards. And it's, you know, it's varying standards. We've also this year just launched what we call Inspire League. So we've got a um, an initiative that's called Inspire Regeneration. That's in design to get people into the sport. So you can come, you can sign up. If you, if you want to run your own sport, your own um, club or uh, team in wheelchair basketball you can get a grant to enable you to come and be a first stage coach you can get grants to get wheelchairs so you can we literally will help you get started and what we've done now is we discovered that there's quite a lot of players that don't want to play competitively necessarily they don't want to play in that professional or that that domestic league but they do want to play regularly week in week out so we've now got this inspire league system where you play a competitive game but it's not in a league that that counts. So there's no winning. You, you win and you lose the game, but there's no relegation. There's no league tables for it. You just can play regularly. So that's your entry point right up to if you're uh, 16 to 19. We've got dice, same as other sports, so diploma and sporting excellence. We've got pathway camps. So our players coming through that are highlighted as having potential, they go onto the pathway and ultimately end up in that, hopefully, that GB squad. We just need more people playing the sport. So we've already established you've got quite a wide remit. So what is the size and scope of your organisation? Are you in a skyscraper in London with thousands of people over several floors or something a little bit more manageable, shall we say? Yeah, I wish. Um, and this is a misconception, but I think this is a misconception of most sports, you know, outside the top five. We're, we have a small office in Loughborough, um, which we rent from Loughborough University, and that's about it. Um, I've got 17 people that work for the organisation, mixture of full-time, part-time. We've got a full-time women's coach for our GB squad. We have part-time, well-contracted men's coaches because we don't have the setup because most of the men play abroad. It's not like we can just get them in camps every month in, in the UK. So, no, I would love to have a skyscraper in London with endless people. but And that's part of the problem, actually. We want to get more people aware of our sport, but I need manpower to do that. I need somebody going around, you know, we don't have a schools programme, which we're working on developing, but I don't have anybody to deliver that. So I've got to work with youth sport trusts and activity alliance type people to get that set up. And that's great, but, but we're competing against other sports there, so it's not the same. And one of my biggest beefs is the disparity of funding between Paralympic and Olympic sports. It's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And you will know that, Justine, from your role previously at British Triathlon. Yeah. So how do you go about changing that? How can you, as uh, the new CEO of, of British Wheelchair Basketball, how can you help change that? I think there's a few things. One thing is um, the, the infrastructure of sport in this country is a bit weird. 
coming I, I'm not from I'm not a sports CEO so a lot of a lot of sports have CEOs that have been as you guys all know from sport to sport to sport it's really common most sports will want somebody that's been a CEO to another sport and you know there's lots of pros to that but the downside of that is you don't necessarily bring fresh eyes from outside the sector I'm lucky I think in that I've come from a commercial background and I've come in and gone well this doesn't really make a lot of sense why are we doing this um and I think if you were to create the sports infrastructure in this country, you wouldn't do it as we've got it now. And I think probably that's true of most exchequer funded organisations. You know, the NHS, you wouldn't, if you're drawing that up from a blank sheet effect, you definitely wouldn't do it like it is. So I think there's some historical problems, but I struggle to understand why, let's use hockey, because I know you had Nick on here a few weeks ago. You know, they get, what, 12 million 40 million whatever it is they have the same number of medalists that we do they have 24 thereabouts don't quote me on the figures but you know roughly 24 medalists from each game two two medals men's and women's we have the same number of medalists yet we get four and a half million how is that fair now the argument could be that more people play hockey but we're not about participation in uk sport we're about performance so that's the so obviously with sport england fund participation UK sport fund performance. So that argument doesn't hold any weight for me. So what is the reason? The only conclusion I can draw is that it's a historic, so I don't think it's the view of the current UK sport government governing governance structure. I know I spoke to Sally about this lots of times and I know it's not something that she wants to continue, but that's got to be unpicked. But everything is difficult to unpick when you've got an infrastructure that's well-established like this is. But I just find that really difficult that you're telling me that my 24 medalists are less valuable than hockey's 24 medalists. I think it's a really interesting point that you make because Hannah Cockcroft has said to us that she feels that since London 2012, the Paralympic movement in this country has slightly gone backwards, that it hasn't moved on. We always thought it was the, the groundbreaking moment, and I think it was at the time. But have we gone backwards? I mean, I wasn't around then, so in the world of sports, so that would be hard for me to comment. I think that more people are aware of the Paralympics. I, I think more people would watch the Paralympics and perhaps pre 2012. Do I think investment is the same? No. I speak to people in, in the Paralympic world. Um, somebody I was talking to last week doesn't get anywhere near the funding as an individual athlete that her able-bodied compatriots get. It just doesn't happen. It's not fair. And it, if you talk, and I've said, I've said this in, to a number of people at UK Sports, if you took a little bit of money off the big sports, you know, take 50, 100,000 of them and give it to me. They wouldn't notice it. Put that in my pocket. I mean, mine as in the sports. That makes a massive difference. You know, and everybody's struggling. We're, we're just, in, as you probably know, we're in the process of doing our submissions for the LA cycle, funding from UK Sport. We know it's, you know, they're not expecting to get any in, increased investment when the time comes. So we're all having to work on standstill budgets, which essentially means a, a, a funding cut. And when you're the big sports that can go and attract a sponsor, and I know they're finding it harder to get sponsorship, but it's much harder for us because we don't have that asset exchange. We don't have that transactional asset that we can say, well, if you give us some money, you can speak to 4 million of our sport participants because they don't exist. You know, we're on a much smaller scale. So, and I get the 
we're a smaller sport, so we don't have the profile of something like hockey or triathlon or swimming or cycling. But but we've got we we have just as big impact on the people that play our sport. And you've led me there perfectly into my next question because you've spoken very well and very passionately there about UK sport government lottery funding but the challenge is about bringing commercial income in and that is a step change isn't it the way that UK sport are doing funding now it's much more collaborative um you know we we talk I talk to people at UK sport all the time and I know my team do so what we get this cycle we know where we're going to be roughly yes we've got to do the submission yes we've got to apply for little pots of money here and there but we've got a brilliant partner in motability they came on board with us earlier this year and that's a great fit for us because you know they've got a reach to people that use you know need support in terms of cars and and they're a really strong partner for us but there's not that many motabilities around so we're now competing with the big boys so we're going after you know if, if we're going for somebody that we think might be able to partner with us, probably so cycling, probably so swimming or football or, you know, whatever. And and that, you know, when we don't have the platform. So what we're trying to do is to work with other sports. We're, we're talking to some other sports about joining forces and trying to think a bit more creatively. So rather than asking for a, a straightforward asset exchange in terms of income, we're going off, we're looking for a partner, for example, as a training venue. So we're not a centralised programme. We that we decentralised some years ago, rightly or wrongly, and you know that's a whole new podcast about whether you want to centralise or decentralise these days. But we want, you know, we want to find somebody to try and cut our cost of camps. So if we have, we if we commit to having all of our camps in one venue for the next four years of the LA cycle, can we create an an, an environment where, in return for that, we can have. An, an agreement on the cost of that to reduce our costs so that's the sort of the creativity we're having to bring rather than looking for just somebody to pump money into the sport i mean if there are any philanthropists out there that want to pump money into the sport i'll absolutely start their hands up but you know there's a reality isn't there justin when you go and meet all the other ceos and mds of the national governing bodies when uk sport puts you all around the table do they all go oh no they're all terrified of you justine's in <laughs> Or, or are you knocking on an open door there? It's a weird world, if I'm honest. Um, it's not That's very, what I wanted you to say, yeah, actually. <laughs> it, it's not a diverse world. Um, and there's a lot of people who have been in the sector doing this job for a long time that have got more skills than, than I have. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, it depends who you ask, I guess. There's some people that I think would be like, yeah, because they're on the same page. There's other people that are probably going, oh, shut up. But, you know, how is that different to any other world? I think the challenge is, um, as a newcomer to this sector and as somebody that's come from a commercial world, I'm used to having to um, find income. You know, I, I before I came in here, I was working in online retail. So we had to make sales. It was simple as that. We had to generate income. So that's my approach. Whereas I think... Um, in some sectors, there might be might be people that, that that's alien to them because they've always worked on exchequer funding and the exchequer funding has always been pretty good. So, so long as you're meeting the requirements of, of your funders, you can do a decent job. Whereas I think that's going to, it's just not going to get better in the short term. Every exchequer funded organisation, whether that's sport, healthcare, I don't know, schools, everybody's in the same boat. This is Great British Bosses from Anything But Footy. 
We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're talking to Justine Baines, the CEO of British Wheelchair Basketball. And Justine, you mentioned there about your your previous roles, that you worked in retail and you've worked in, in charity and, and your skills are kind of marketing and communication. So how different is being a CEO? Um, I, grew, I, I suppose I started my work in advertising agencies. So the ability to multitask was there from day one. Um, you'd be doing something and then a client would ring and you'd drop it and then somebody had asked for something. So in that respect, I think I've had some good training. Um, I think the biggest challenge is being objective and making decisions on ev- based on evidence. And again, my, my sort of growing up in that world was really enabled me to be able to do that. There's a lot of people that are really, really passionate about the sport. And I love that. And I think a bit like the charity sector, you can't get that elsewhere. But that does mean that sometimes we have we have to make decisions based on evidence rather than what somebody thinks. And that can be quite challenging. I'm very, very lucky that I've got an exceptional board. And I really enjoy working with my board. Um, and the chair of my board is brilliant. We speak most weeks. I'm actually supported and given every bit of help that I could ask for. So I have conversations with my board about their skill set. So whether that's how to deal with something or whether that's, you know, one of our board at the moment is helping us with um, logistics of Paris, things like that. I feel like I'm in a really lucky place because I know that's not the same for everybody. I think it's just there's a lot to juggle. There's a huge amount. I mean, I'm working at the moment just trying to finish off the code of sports governance and make sure we're compliant. And everybody in the sector moans about that. But it's just what we should be doing. We just have to record it. That's all. It's not that difficult. So it's more of an admin task for me than anything major. Yes, I've had to write a few new policies and and document what we did anyway. But I think that um, we're in a place that is pretty positive and stuff like that. So... It's not, it's just a lot on. There's a lot to think about, but I like that. I mean, who needs sleep anyway? (laughs) We are on the cusp of another Olympic and Paralympic year. This one has come around slightly quicker than most because of the shortened cycle. How excited are you for the organisation then for what might lie ahead in 2024? Uh, I mean, excited probably doesn't even cover it. I, we had this year two major championships. We had our world championships in Dubai in June, which were postponed from the 2022, um, thanks to the Football World Cup being in Qatar. And, you know, that's what happens to Paralympic sports. They get bumped because something else is more important. And that's not okay. But it's the world in which we live. And then um, eight weeks later, we were in Rotterdam for our European Championships, which were our Paris qualifiers. And just to have the opportunity to sit courtside and see close up the power and the excitement and almost feel that, energy that is coming off the core I always say we we shouldn't be a disability sport we're a sport that you happen to play in a chair as opposed to the running game where it's the same sport that you use your feet to get around it's so exciting it's so skillful I mean it's not an easy sport to play it might look easy but I promise you I'm disastrous at it and I'm the butt of many jokes because I'm so bad 
we have a platform every four years where our sports are on national television. And so we have to maximize that. So we're working with our clubs, we're recruiting ambassadors, we're doing some work, hopefully with Channel 4 in terms of content. But it's a, it's a year that people will be more receptive to hearing about our sport. There's no doubt. I mean, Hancock Cross right. It dips off after each game. But we've got this window and, you know, from the new year, you'll start to see hopefully a lot more proactive stuff from us because we're just piling everything we've got into the sort of January to September window. You may, funnily enough, you mentioned hockey earlier, and both men and women have, have yet to qualify uh, for the Olympics. Both your men and women are qualified for the Paralympics after those great European championships. Yeah, I think our men, we expected our men to qualify, no problem whatsoever. And, you know, we kept won a silver medal at the Worlds. And that I don't know if you saw that game, but it was the most exciting and heartbreaking game. Sport is brutal. You know, we lost that, that world medal in the last three seconds of the game. And and that that's sport. You know, you have to pick yourself up and go again. Um, and the men were sublime. The women have just, you know, we're the only country that has a women's Premier League. So we can see the result of the investment into our women. Um, but I can tell you the, the winning of the um, silver medal. So both both teams are getting to the final qualified. That was as exciting for me as, as where we finished in that on that final. Just qualifying was just phenomenal. And the belief that that's given both teams to go on and medal in, in Paris next year. Now, we know the great British men have won eight Paralympic medals, but they've yet to win a gold. How much of a game changer could that be to, to, to stand at the top of the podium? I mean, I think they could do it. I genuinely think they can. And I think... Sport is one of those things that everything has to be in line on that day. Um, but they definitely have the skills to do it. And I think that will just be a world changer for them. The challenge then is if they, if they, we've got a number of men, we've got a good pipeline of men for, um, coming into that squad, but we've got a number of men that we would hope to take to LA. Some of the old, more senior players, I was about to say older, but they're all quite young. So, but the more senior players, winning a gold medal for some of them might make them want to retire. And I'm like, no, don't stay. <laughs> so that, you know, you, but but that's the life, I guess. You asked about the role of a CEO earlier. That is the, the life because we've got our depth chart and we were looking at it last week going, we're in a really good place, but that could change. If we do win that gold, some of them might go, that's it. I'm happy. I'm going to walk away from that level of, of sport. Um, so that even with that excitement, you go, oh, I don't want you to go. Final couple of questions then from me. If you do win the gold, I guess the next challenge then is how you go about harnessing that because yeah. that is a moment in time and it's wonderful for the organisation and the players involved. But how do you then bring that into the school halls, the playgrounds? The local leisure centres? I think it just extends your platform a little bit longer. Um, you know, being a gold medal winner at a Paralympic still has significance. And I think it gives you something to talk about and something positive and exciting to talk about. Being a Paralympian still does that. I was at um, something last week, my youngest daughter's had a, a post GCSE awards evening, and there was an Olympic swimmer there from 2012 so he's still going around he's still a young guy but he's still going around talking about that so it's still relevant to be an olympian or a paralympian but i think that the platform is that bit higher if you're a medalist at that point so we've got and i guess that's where my background comes in because we'll be 
nailing them on the circuit going go and talk here the media are more interested social media content is is more exciting because more people want to talk to you and just finally then from me just how important in general terms is it that paris france is hosting the paralympics there's genuine excitement and interest in the host nation because Rio was a, a struggle. I mean, it was a Games that very nearly didn't happen. Tokyo, for all the reasons that we know, was different. How important is it that Paris is is good? I think it is really important. We went from London, where it, where for us it was just phenomenal. I can still remember the the hair standing up on my back of my neck on Super Saturday. You know, and it was it was cool. Rio time difference is always a problem. You know, we're going to LA and then Brisbane after that, so it's going to be a challenge. I think getting to Paris will will be easier. So we've you've got more people, I think, going from Great Britain and Northern Ireland over there. The challenge, if you're a wheelchair user, is that's really hard because if you try and go on Eurostar, everybody's been encouraged to um, use Star Eurostar and and drive rather than flying, which is absolutely brilliant for sustainability. But you can only get two wheelchairs on your average Eurostar. So if you're a wheelchair user and you want to go with some friends and they're all wheelchair users, you can't all go on the same train. So the the BPA, British Paralympic Association, are doing some brilliant work with them around trying to drive change. Because, you know, when we were told we, we they wanted us to use it, we were like, well, it can take us two weeks to get all our athletes on. We've all got two chairs. And that's the that's the world that we live in. So the BPA are doing some brilliant work, but there's a reality for people to go into the Paralympics that if you're not able-bodied, it's harder and it shouldn't be. Just go to London on the tube and you can't you go use certain stations. You, it's just difficult. Um, and it's 2023, for goodness sake. This shouldn't be difficult anymore. So I think there's, a, there's logistics of going is going to be a challenge, but I think to be able to go for friends and family, for people that support the sport, to be able to go, to be able to watch it on TV in daytime hours, you can't underestimate the value of that because it just makes life easier for all of us. Well, Justine, I think before we started recording, we said we do these interviews to find out more about sports and the challenges that they face. You have literally opened our eyes to a huge issue that um that is coming up with these paralympics in paris so we thank you for that uh, we will certainly be shouting about it um like yourselves and justine baines ceo of british wheelchair basketball thank you so much for talking to great british bosses thank you sports social podcast network Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.